This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the globe, bringing you news, views, and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Wave. Yes, it's Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. It's World Wide Wave, taking you around the globe one queer story at a time. I'm Matt, and we are live from the lands of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation at the Victorian Pride Centre. And tonight, I am joined once again by Shannon. It's nice to be back. Privileged to have you here. And Andrew is back with us. Yes, it's great to be here. Ever since the AIDS epidemic, it's been understood that the LGBTI community has special health needs, whether it relates to sexual health, mental health, or the response to pandemics. The Rainbow community has its own way of interrogating and improving health outcomes. One person who has made the study of LGBTIQ health their life work is Tonda Hughes, professor at Columbia University and founder of the Centre for Sexual and Gender Minority Health Research. It's the first and only centre of its type to look at health from the perspective of nursing. Here's a taste of what's coming up tonight. Therein lies the challenge, you know, even though sexual minority women are at much higher risk, it appears, and, and report higher rates of, of victimization, mm. we know that it's pretty common among women in the general population. And I, I believe that childhood abuse in particular sets this trajectory of repeated violence and victimization that does have a, a cascading impact across women's lives. Could being open about your sexuality be good for your health? That's just one of the questions an inquisitive academic mind has asked. Tonda Hughes, a nurse by trade, began investigating alcoholism in the lesbian community. It was the start of a career and a life passion in LGBTIQ health research. Now a professor in the US at Columbia University, Tonda also founded a research centre looking at health from a nursing viewpoint, the Centre for Sexual and Gender Minority Health Research. We asked Donna to start by telling us a bit about herself. I am a researcher. I'm a professor at Columbia University in New York City, where I serve as the um, Heinrich H. Ben Dixon uh, Endowed Professor in International Nursing and Associate Dean for Global Health. And I'm very fortunate to have recently founded and direct the Center for Sexual and Gender Minority Health Research in the College of Nursing, in the School of Nursing at Columbia University, which I believe is the the first and potentially the only such center in nursing. Uh, So very, very pleased Mm. and proud about that. You have a long career in research, looking at minority health and especially lesbian health and LGBTIQ. How did you get to be a researcher in this area? Well, my interest started with more broadly related to alcohol use among women. 
I was doing a master's degree at the University of Kentucky, and the Kentucky State Board of Nursing approached my mentors there and asked if they would be willing to help develop a program that nurses, where nurses could get help, because up until that time, they had been fired from their jobs, and so that meant they lost their insurance, and they couldn't afford to get treatment. So my advisors, with the help of of the seven or eight of us master's students, started a program that included both counseling and research for nurses whose alcohol or drug use was impacting their work. And through that, I got really interested in substance use among women. And so because I decided that I really wanted to do research, I figured I needed a PhD. So I applied for programs and um, accepted a position at the University of Illinois at Chicago, where I did a dissertation focused on nurses' uh, use of alcohol and drugs, and particularly how they were treated, because there was a big discrepancy between how they were treated and how physicians were treated. And in that, uh, that work, I, of course, you know, dug into the literature, and that's where I started to see and and read these articles about women who identified as lesbian and their use of alcohol. And these researchers or or authors were saying that at least a third of lesbians were alcoholic or had serious alcohol-related problems. And, you know, being part of the community, I knew that that didn't sound true. So I the, the more I read, I came to understand that these estimates were based on studies that had recruited their samples in gay bars. And so, you know, as I often say to people when I do presentations about this, if you go to gay bars to recruit a research study sample, you're going to get a lot of heavy drinkers. And so that, you know, it wasn't so much of a problem that they were, you know, they were recruiting from gay bars But what happened was they made these estimates and then lots of other people started to report those without critiquing, Mm. you know, the sampling design and that sort of thing. So a long time ago, I would do a a presentation called the myth of the lesbian alcoholic, you know, or the myth that a third of lesbians are alcoholic to try to, you know, to draw attention to that. Mm. So after that point, you know, the last 20 or 25 years of my, my research career has been about trying to develop a more scientifically grounded understanding of lesbians' use of alcohol. And that, of course, gradually expanded to include bisexual women and other sexual minority women. And what did you find around alcohol use and bisexual? And, uh, yeah, so um, far lower rates than, than a third uh, being alcoholic, but still substantially higher than women in the general population. So I think, you know, 16% of the women in my longitudinal Chicago Health and Life Experiences of Women study have had some sort of alcohol treatment. Um, can't remember exactly how many, you know, would, would have reported hazardous drinking, but, you know, again, uh, significantly higher than women in the general population, but certainly not as high as those early estimates. And uh, what factors influence that yeah well that was that was my goal in Mm. starting this area of research is to try to better understand both the risk and protective factors and over the years 
in repeated studies, I would say the most pronounced finding has been the very high rates of violence and victimization throughout sexual minority women's lifespan. So, for example, using um, a standardized battery of questions that was developed by Gail Wyatt in 1985, we found that more than half the women in our study met criteria for childhood sexual abuse. And this was based on the age of the person, the age of the perpetrator, whether or not the person was a family member or not, and, and things like that. We've also done studies, not just with my longitudinal sample, but also with the Australia Longitudinal Survey of Women's Health and other national studies in the U.S. And we continue, we repeatedly find these higher rates of childhood sexual abuse, childhood physical abuse, childhood neglect, um, re-victimization in adolescence and adulthood, and sexual assault. So that's really what I'm working to try to understand now is why lesbian women are at higher risk for violence mm -hmm. and victimization throughout their lifetime. So I'm working with um, one of my postdocs right now mm -hmm. on an in-depth literature review to, to try to get at that a little bit more. We, we think it has to do with non-traditional gender appearance, but that doesn't explain all of it because as you know, and we all know, a lot of women who identify as lesbian or bisexual are not non-traditional in their yep. in their uh, dress or expression. Tonda Hughes, professor at Columbia University in the USA, with us on Joy ninety four point nine, and we are discussing a few, um, you know, challenging issues tonight. If you feel you need some support, there's lots of help here in Australia. Go to joy.org.au/support, and you'll find the contacts for those various support services. Um, I have mixed feelings about this one because on the one hand, I'm thinking, you know, when Tonda started her studies that, you know, her, her mentors were saying, no, don't do that, don't do that, shh. And now she's developed this centre which specifically looks into um, LGBT minority health. I mean, how far have we come in one person's, you know, Yeah, no, it's lifetime? amazing. Fantastic. But then on the downside is there's clearly so much for them to research and to find out why there are this, uh, uh, you know, why, for example, alcoholism is elevated in, you know, in this case, the lesbian community. That was a good point she made about taking the sample from bars. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> pretty obvious, isn't it, that you're going to get a skewed um, A little bit biased. Sample. Well, you're guaranteed mm. to, to fill the, the survey, I guess. Um, <laughs> it, it is... Um, uh, I, I wonder, though, if with the decline in LGBT bar-type venues around the world, does that then make an issue like alcoholism harder to see? Is yeah, especially like, especially like there's a, a lot less like women in those spaces as well. Like in the, there's in fewer the, lesbian bars. Especially and, yep. lesbian bars. And I think there is, I mean, in my experience anyway, um, of younger women, like a lot less queer women kind of going out to the bigger bars that are joined as well. Why do you think that is? Um, I think there's just like a little bit less of a culture of it. And I think that um, it still doesn't always feel like a totally safe place, even mm. though it's a queer mm. bar. Mm. We're going to explore those youth issues in a minute. Um, in fact, we'll ask uh, Tonda to, you know, what can be done to break that cycle of non-acceptance for young queer people? You're on World Wide Wave. Where our diverse communities can come together. Joy. 
It's Romana Schlesinger from the Rainbow Pride Bratislava in Slovakia for Worldwide Wave. One of the issues we're talking about tonight is uh, acceptance or non-acceptance of family uh, when you come out. Love to hear your messages, your thoughts, especially if you've got any funny ones. Any any stories here? Well, I mean, I mean, I guess I did it possibly the most attempted of a low-key way as possible, which was I went to my sister's house and I kind of told her, oh, I do need to talk to you about something just to kind of make myself actually do it because it's a weird conversation to have. And I got distracted and didn't tell her. And then she was leaving and she was like, well, I thought you were going to tell me something, like I've got to go to the milk bar, do you want to come with me? And I was like, sure. This seems like a great venue for <laughs> to do this. And she was like, oh, do you want to like pick a drink? Uh, pick like a drink out of the shelves and I was like yeah I'm gonna get a coke and I was like and I'm gay and then she was like great um do you want some do you want to get some chips (laughs) would you like fries yeah yeah she's like she's like would you like should we get a bag of chips or something as well okay so clearly she didn't uh, yeah 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 no 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 and I was like I was like yeah that'd be great (laughs) thanks (laughs) there you go and when I told my mother she said Predictably, oh, but surely if you met the right girl, oh, yeah, said, yeah. oh, that old chestnut. Yep. Well, do you think if you met the right woman, you'd be able to be a lesbian? <laughs> she, she was horrified at that, and then that uh, got it, the message home to her. Being a young person can be hard work. Navigating friendship, school life, pimples, first loves. We will also have our own memories of this exciting and awkward time. But spare a thought for young queer people who are rejected by those closest to them, their family. Tonda Hughes is a researcher in LGBTIQ health and founder of Centre of Sexual and Gender Minority Health Research in the USA. Tonda has been explaining how abuse or the non-acceptance of young queer people can lead to lifelong issues including alcoholism. We asked Tonda what can be done to try and break this cycle. Well, and that that is, therein lies the challenge, you know, even though sexual minority women are at much higher risk, it appears, and, and report higher rates of, of victimization, mm. we know that it's pretty common among women in the general population. And I, I believe that childhood abuse in particular sets this trajectory of repeated violence and victimization that does have a, a cascading impact across women's lives. But, you know, it's common in the general population. So why, why doesn't our, our healthcare system, not just ours in America, yours in Australia mm. and every other place that I can think of, why is more not done? But I think it has to do with patriarchy and how, yeah. you know, families are still considered to be, you know, a domain that is that others shouldn't interfere in. And, you know, domestic violence is a prime example. Um, We just haven't done nearly enough to try to prevent and intervene early in these issues. So I'm at a loss, but um, there's been a few studies that have shown promising results. And they have to do with helping parents understand that acceptance. And that doesn't mean they have to, you know, accept every single aspect of their child's life. But Having a parent or actually any adult who is important to the child accept them and support them, it makes a remarkable difference in their mental health. So Caitlin Ryan and her group was one of the the first to to show this. So interventions like that, you know, Mm -hmm. with the family, I think are at least 
the most promising in terms of child abuse that I can, can think of. Helping parents understand that non-traditional gender appearance or behavior mm. is not a bad thing. So what are the main difference in health issues that are affecting the LGBTIQ community compared to the, the general community? Well, when I started my research, um, alcohol was certainly the biggest one and, you know, um, mental health issues, things like depression, suicidality and, and those sorts of things. But as I've, you know, um, gotten more and more into the field, worked with broader range of colleagues and mentors, you know, we're coming to understand that there are sexual minority related health differences in almost every aspect of health. And for example, we've reported on asthma, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity. Um, and, you know, I certainly know more about sexual minority women. So, you know, I'm not even mentioning sexually transmitted diseases and those kinds of things that more affect trans women and gay men. But yeah, so the ones I rattled off, I, I, I think, you know, depression, suicidality, those sorts of things are, are the most prominent. And you talk about acceptance earlier. And I think in some of the research, you also showed that people that were out earlier had better health outcome than other. Yeah, so so coming out early can be a risk factor because if young people are not, they don't have good role models or surrounded with people who accept them, it can have a ne negative impact. But being out and being able to be authentic about one's identity um, has been shown to be positive. There's mm -hmm. both sides because sometimes when people come out, their families reject them, their friends reject them. But still, <laughs> on the whole... It does seem like being open about one's sexual identity has strong health benefits. Do you think that's about the, the support from the peer or peers and parents or, you know, parents as the social network or it's something else? Well, I think it's about being able to be who you really are, to be authentic. Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of research about authenticity and so when you're hiding a part of who you are and I, I, I certainly had a you know a, a decade or more of doing that myself you know it's damaging um, to because you, you you think you're being false you know you're not being who you really are and so it sort of eats away at you and the, and the fear of being discovered is damaging so to be out and especially if you are accepted by people who are important to you is a very strong protective influence for mental health and related things like substance use. From New York's Columbia University, that's Tonda Hughes on Joy 94.9. Uh, and as we mentioned before, if uh, this interview has brought up any any issues with you, lots of support here. Go to joy.org.au slash support for contact details. Um, the, the comment early on there around, you know, things, family issues are sort of kept in the family. You know, you shouldn't, um, other people shouldn't interfere. I found that fascinating. But as soon as, like, I've, I guess I've never really thought about it, but I can understand it. Now that she's verbalised it. Why fascinating? Um, 
Well, when 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 a friend needs help, you know, you you want them to be able to, you know, reach out. But when it's a family issue, people do kind of recoil a bit. Oh, oh that's a bit. Oh, I don't want to. You know, it's one of the almost a taboo subject. Do you especially think? men. Yeah, mm. men especially would recoil. I think a lot of women would reach out to their female friends. What do you think, Shannon? Um, I do, I do. I, yeah, well, I do think I do think that women have... I do think... I mean, women genuinely have, like, a different type of relationship to their female friends, I think, than really a lot of men have with each other, I think. So I do think that as well. But, yeah, I do, but I do think there is that similar thing still with it being family, that there is this bit of, like, a veneer sort of... You've you've got to maintain. Yeah, that, like you don't uh, really want to totally to everyone you know, like rip off, kind of maybe what it's actually what's completely going on. Yeah, mm, there's often a cone of silence, isn't there? Yeah, and things that people perceive as um, being shameful. For example, alcoholism's a, a huge one where uh, there's a cone of silence around the family. Mm. And then the flip side of that, um, you know, coming out early, uh, acceptance and and uh, support actually has positive outcomes for. For the individual as well, yeah. yeah, should be more of it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it does make a lot of sense, doesn't it? That you know, when you're able to be just yourself, you know, you are going to have be more mentally well, most likely. Absolutely. Uh, coming up on Joy ninety four point nine, we explore how America's divided political climate impacts Tonda's work in LGBTIQ health research. This is Worldwide Wave for all voices. This is Joy. Hi, my name is Hope Matumbo from the Multicultural Health and Support Service, and you're listening to the World Wide Wave. You're on the show that takes you around the globe one queer story at a time, World Wide Wave. And a special hello to everyone who's listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcast automatically, either at joy.org.au forward slash worldwide wave, or on iTunes, or really any of your favorite podcast platforms. And please leave us a review. We always like to know what you guys think. And we love hearing, we you know, love hearing, we, we know that yeah. um, a, a heap of people, we, we get downloads from all over the world. All so over the world. Really quite remarkable. Um, last week's show on Texas, uh, you know, we've got a big American following mm-hmm. on podcasts as well. I'm sure that will be quite interesting on how they uh, see Australia's take on what goes on yes. in America. Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, one of the recent ones we did, Democratic Republic of Congo, which was just fascinating because, I mean, we... We had never been there before. It was real, real eye opener. Um, but we've we're coming up to twelve years on air, so there's a lot of pod- we've covered like probably probably about 180 countries in the world. So most countries we've covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've been here all that time. Almost all that time. I'm, oh. I started after the first few months. I think the oh well, let's close the show. Enough, so. Yeah, I think yeah. you can be like. I've been here the whole time Lots at this point. Lots of grey hairs. Yeah, okay. All right. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> uh, joy.org.au slash worldwide wave is where you'll find the podcast or subscribe on your podcast platform and you'll get them all straight to your platform. The world's longest running radio show dedicated to international LGBTIQ news and current affairs. This is Worldwide Wave from Australia's rainbow radio station, Joy 94.9. We're talking LGBT health tonight, and in what has become known as the divided states of America, LGBTIQ rights have in recent times become a flashpoint. For the conservative right, it is a rallying call against the rainbow community, particularly trans people. 
For the progressive left, it's a human rights battle that must be won in order to keep those hard-earned rights. Tonda Hughes is a professor at Columbia University. We asked Tonda if she experienced challenges doing her LGBTIQ research in the current political environment in America. Well, I'm in a very good situation now where I feel very secure and feel no threat at all. But, you know, I'm a senior researcher. I have a senior tenured professorship and I'm in a an institution that values diversity. And in fact, I was recruited to Columbia University through a special program where the the president of the university contributed millions of dollars to recruit diverse faculty, including uh, faculty who identified as LGBT themselves. So now it's very different from where I started. And when I first decided that I wanted to study lesbian women's use of alcohol, I had, you know, my very well-meaning senior mentors very strongly discouraged me from doing that because they were concerned that I wouldn't be able to get my papers published, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to get grant funding, and that would threaten my possibility of tenure. For whatever reason, you know, I don't I don't know that I'm a particularly brave person, but I decided this was an important topic and one that needed attention. So I decided to pursue the, the work. And, you know, once I started, the institution itself was nothing but supportive. But then I, you know, have had um, some instances after that where Typically, when we when I would get a new grant funded, um, there would be a press release. And once the press release came out, I would then often be inundated by negativity in uh, Internet blogs, reporters calling to engage me and then, you know, ask me why I'm using taxpayers money to support research on drunk lesbians, things like that. So. That, you know, especially as a new non-tenured assistant professor, those kinds of things were quite uh, disturbing. But somehow I managed to get through those. And, mm. and you know, it's, it's like um, I think it was Obama or, or somebody, who, you know, said, just keep trying, just keep hanging on. It gets better. I think it's, it's get better. It gets better campaign that I'm thinking of. And it, it does, but it can be challenging. Were there a time where you thought this is too hard, I just would rather do something else? Or? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually can't remember a time that I thought it was, was not worth it because <laughs> I just thought it was too bad. And luckily, almost every time that something on a sort of a more structural level happened, you know, not just about me, but about the field, there's almost always was a, a backlash. So it ended up bringing attention and allowing more progress to be made in terms of LGBT research and funding because it brought attention to the unfairness of whatever was happening. So it seems like there's a spiral and, you know, we go around and we hit a a roadblock and that stalls us for a while, but then we continue and we move gradually, you know, forward and upward. And um, we've been in COVID pandemic now for the last three years, and and we've seen that a lot of the the pandemic has you know amplified 
amplified a lot of discrimination. Is it something that you've, have you seen a difference in your research since we've entered this pandemic? Yes, and we were um, fortunate because we were in the field collecting data in 2019 on in the fourth wave of our longitudinal Chicago Health and Life Experiences of Women study. So we had collected data on a good portion of the sample, let's say a fourth of the sample prior to the pandemic. And then, of course, we continued to collect data throughout the pandemic until we finished just a, a, a few months ago, actually, for with our wave five data. So, you know, we're going to be able to do some more in-depth work with that. But we also conducted a qualitative study uh, during that time to try to better understand. And it's, you know, not surprising that it was harder in some ways for sexual minority women in our case, and particularly for women of color. And, and part of that was aggravated by the George Floyd murder and the violence that erupted around that and, you know, the backlash from police. And so the women of color in our study were extremely um, stressed and fearful and anxious and just and mad about everything. So Again, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to disentangle COVID from all of that that went, that happened just about at the same time. But in general, you know, ours and other research has shown that it, it was a harder time for sexual minorities because sexual minority people tend not to have as strong relationships with their families as people in the general population do. They often live far away. Um, you know, older sexual minority people are are more likely to be alone and not to have children and that sort of thing. So it, it was a, it, it was and probably continues to be a lonelier time, I think, for sexual minority people. And so maybe a little bit harder to, to manage and to cope with. Tonda Hughes, Henriks Benningson Professor of International Nursing and Associate Dean for Global Health in the School of Nursing at Columbia University. Thank you very much for talking to us at World Wide Wave. My Tonda. pleasure, anytime. And uh, while Tonda was speaking there, we've had a message coming in from Robbie. I've always thought that it's nobody's business but my own as to what my sexual desires are. I've lived for over 70 years without telling family and I live with that. Adopt a positive attitude. Thanks, Robbie. It's absolutely not to, you don't have to tell anybody anything, really. It always reminds me of um, Armstead Maupin, the, the uh, famous author, oh. um, who always talked about uh, his uh, biological family and his logical family. For him... That's a good word. He logically, he fitted with the LGBT community and that's mm. where it went, yeah. Mm. Um, the other thing that came through as Tonda was speaking was um, employers now, uh, you know, many are a lot more forthright in their support of... Um, inclusion and in, and indeed specifically in support of the LGBT community, whether it's, it's PR. Well, yeah, well, whether it's PR, but it's also about that whole bringing your whole self to work thing. And um, it, do you, uh, in looking for new jobs, do you look at that sort of thing? 
I would. I think it's great. Um, I said it was PR and it is PR, but I still think it's great that they do it. And, um, yeah, it makes me have a positive attitude towards those companies that do it and I'll support them. And, uh, yeah, if I was going for a job and there were two places and one was openly supportive and the other wasn't, I'd certainly be going (coughs) for the one that was supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it would. It would if it was if it was between like where I was looking between two jobs. It would definitely um, be a big part of the deciding factor, I think. Mm. And and then um, the whole issue of coming out, um, which is probably a lesser issue now than it was, say, um, fifty, seventy years ago. Um, do you think it's? Do you think how? What what role does social media play in that? Well, now? yeah. I mean, I was going to say like. With what we're talking about not telling his family and being in his seventies, I just like I I I don't think I would be able to not have people know and still and just like not be, but without it being a constant thing. I was trying to hide because like when I was when I before I told my mum, there were a few months right between me figuring it out and me actually telling her because I wanted to come to terms with it a bit more myself, and it was very very hard to not have anything posted on social media about it, not to have any of my friends accidentally, accidentally put anything, up or yeah, tag you into or something. yeah, like especially when you're at like that beginning stage where you're really figuring stuff out and yeah. going out more and and trying to meet more people and all that sort of stuff without a joke or a, a passing comment that um kind of <laughs> made it a bit obvious. Do you know what I mean? Like. It was it was actually really hard for those like couple of months between where I was like desperately trying to make sure like nothing yeah seemed obvious and that void that um, exists in your life when you don't reveal to anybody it's like the elephant in the room I mean everybody knows that you're just not talking about these aspects you know what did I do on the weekend and who am I seeing and who are my friends and where did I go it's it's a big void and you have to watch every word you say I mean Mm. I did it for it's a weight isn't it it's a huge weight Mm. yeah Listen live or on demand from wherever you are in the world. Stream us live on joy.org.au or subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform to World Wide Wave. This is Georgi Tabagari from Tbilisi Pride on World Wide Wave, Joy 94.9. Receive LGBT news from around the world throughout the week. Like World Wide Wave on Facebook now. A huge thank you to our guest tonight, Tonda Hughes, Professor at Columbia University and founder of the Centre for Sexual and Gender Minority Health Research. And thank you to everyone who has sent in messages, those on Facebook, Richard, Lana, Stefan and so many more who have joined or interacted with us. You can do that as well on W3Joy. And thank you to Robbie who, who messaged into that tonight on the During Our Show, gave us some, some great to chat about. And we have to thank behind the scenes our podcaster, Peter, and our social media master, Dean. We'll catch you next week on World Wide Wave. Thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. World Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash worldwidewave or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news. Search W3Joy on Facebook now. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. 
Help us keep joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.